good morning. This is Dave Rowland of the Freedom Center of Missouri sitting in for Gary. Uh, I'm going to pick up right where Gary left off, talking a little bit about Israel, talking a little bit about what, if anything, should the United States do in response to the terrorist attacks on Israel. And um, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm looking for listener engagement this morning. I, I want to talk about these issues. I want to hear from you about what I have to say. And so uh, I'm going to hand out the phone numbers. The phone numbers are 800-529-5572 or 573-874-9390. Now, for anyone who missed the opening segment or wasn't paying attention over the weekend, um, the, the news that we're focused on is that uh, over the weekend, the Hamas organization in Gaza launched an attack, a coordinated attack on Israel. They sent fighters across the border that was supposedly secure. Uh, Israel has one of the most sophisticated border security uh, systems in the entire world. They trusted that this would be impenetrable, that if anyone tried an attack like this, it would immediately be noticed, and then they would be able to stop it. Uh, the, their system failed. So uh, the Hamas fighters came in through that border, and in some cases over the border. They were using paragliders to avoid the radar detection systems. They were flying low enough and slow enough that it didn't alert the Israelis to what was happening. And uh, then these fighters went and they targeted civilians. Uh, they targeted women and children and families, uh, killing, I believe the last number I saw was in the neighborhood of, of 800 confirmed dead. Uh, I think there are something like 6,000 wounded and uh, possibly even more dead that just haven't been discovered yet. There are a lot of people that are missing. And on top of that, uh, the fighters kidnapped many of these Israeli civilians and carried them back over into Gaza to be used as uh, number one, bargaining capital, uh, and number two, human shields against any kind of um, any kind of Iraq, uh, Israeli retaliation. So that is what happened. Uh, there are a few other things that are taking place. Uh, Hamas is not the only organization uh, that is uh, crossways with Israel. There is also Hezbollah, which is a similar terrorist organization, only it is to the north of Israel. And uh, I believe that there were some rocket launches coming from southern Lebanon uh, in the last 24 hours. There's been some suggestion that perhaps Hezbollah is going to attack Israel from the north at the same time that Israel is trying to deal with this turmoil in the south. Um, Israel, let's, let's clarify a little bit. Israel is a heavily militarized society. I was talking with Brian just before I came on, and they have compulsory military service. So young men in Israel are required by law to devote 32 months of their lives to serving in the Israeli Defense Force. Young women in Israel are also required to serve uh, for 24 months. So almost all of these people in Israel, if they've lived there through their uh, entire lives, have spent a fair amount of time training with the Israeli Defense Force, and they all have uh, some kind of a reserve role. Uh, in the Israeli Defense Force. So we're talking about a nation of about 
10 million population. Uh, and, and there's a very large, uh, reserve force there. 300,000 of which have already been called up for, uh, for service. Israel did declare war this weekend for the first time in 50 years. And so they are now beginning their, uh, their plan to push back against Hamas in the south and, and to prepare against a potential attack from Hezbollah in the north. So that is the overall situation. Gary talked a little bit in the last hour about the gun control laws in Israel, which I think it's kind of shocking to me uh, for a nation that has such a thorough record of military service that they would then largely disarm their population or at least make it very difficult for members of the population to keep firearms and ammunition at their own homes. Uh, but here we are. That's exactly the situation that they created. Um, and in large part because of that, uh, the people that were being attacked this weekend did not have a ready way to defend themselves when the Israeli Defense Force and the police were not capable of intervening. Um, of course, that is one of the primary reasons that we have a Second Amendment, that we have a individual right to keep and bear arms and under Missouri's constitution, thanks to an amendment that we made just a few years back, that right extends to the right to, to have ammunition and accessories common to the, uh, the use of the weapons that someone might keep at their home. Um, so I don't think that this kind of an attack would likely have been nearly as successful in the United States. Um, but, but it really was kind of an unforced error on Israel's part that their people were not more prepared to assist in their own defense when this started happening. Um, the Israeli government has now announced that they're going to lift many of those restrictions on possessing firearms so that the citizens can go ahead and arm themselves quickly to respond to this particular situation. But of course, that raises the question of whether these restrictions should have been in place in, uh, in, at the outset. Um, you know, again, this, this really wasn't own go by the, um, by the Israeli government. Um, so now let's get to what, if anything, should the U.S. do in response here? Uh, Israel is a longstanding, uh, ally for the United States. It is a country, um, that, that we have assisted in many ways over the years. Um, and so I think that there is a, a general consensus that the U.S. is going to try and aid Israel in some capacity. I think the question is exactly what will that look like. Now, here's where I think things are really interesting. Uh, we are just now coming off of uh, a period in which Republicans have been complaining about the amount of resources that we have been sending to Ukraine to defend itself against the attack from Russia. Um, Republicans have been saying, we've got to cut off this aid. We need to stop sending money over there. I am quite confident that many, many of those same Republicans who were saying we need to cut off aid to Ukraine are now going to be saying we've got to be sending aid to Israel. And I don't think those positions can be reconciled. I think any Republican who is calling for financial or uh, weapons assistance to be sent to Israel cannot in good faith say that we shouldn't also be sending additional 
financial and weapons assistance to Ukraine. I'm going to plant my flag on that right now. If you disagree with me, call in. Let's talk about it. The number is 800-529-5572 or 573-874-9390. Here is the reason why I think it is absolutely indefensible for someone to say we need to be sending resources to Israel and not to uh, Ukraine. Israel is dealing with a situation that they have prepared for. Their primary geopolitical adversary is these terrorist groups that they have been dealing with for decades. This is exactly what they have prepared for. Now, they let their guard down. They they let themselves get sucker punched this weekend. But I think that Israel is in reasonably good position to defend themselves against these terrorist groups. Now, I think the situation would be slightly different if they were looking at an attack from a nation such as, say, Iran. Okay, Iran has a regular military that could be used to invade Israel. That is a theoretical possibility. There are other nations surrounding Israel, Lebanon, Syria, Egypt, uh, that, that could, in theory, send troops to invade in a normal military-style action. My understanding is that is a capability that these terrorist groups do not have. I think what we're looking at here is much more akin to the kind of insurgents or, or guerrilla warfare that we've seen in other contexts. And that does not lend itself to the kinds of pitched battles on a battlefield where you've got organized groups of soldiers going up against other organized groups of soldiers. Um, I don't think that that's what's likely to happen here. I think what we're likely to see is the kind of, um, you know, door-to-door trying to root out terrorists that we saw in Afghanistan, that we've seen in Iraq, that we've seen in a number of other situations. Um, I think it may also look similar to um, the difficulties that the U.S. Army had dealing with the Viet Cong in uh, in Vietnam um, because they weren't the kind of forces that you could just line up on a battlefield and go at with columns of troops and artillery and things like that. Uh, you had to adapt a very different style of fighting in order to confront that particular kind of enemy. I don't think U.S. troops have any business on the ground in Israel dealing with that. I don't think it's likely that the kinds of weapons that we would be able to lend to Israel are the kinds of weapons that would be particularly useful in this style of fighting. Now, I would be in favor of lending them financial aid if they need it. Um, I'm not sure that they do, but I'd be in favor of lending them financial aid if they need it. I'm in favor of lending diplomatic support. In other words, trying to persuade other countries, number one, to stay out of this fight, and number two, to let Israel have some amount of leeway in responding to this so they can protect their citizens. Um, but but as far as, as any sort of military aid, that is sending U.S. soldiers or sending uh, munitions, I don't know that that's actually what this situation calls for. 
I have also said previously when I've been on this show um, that I don't think that the U.S. military has any business putting its own soldiers on the ground or in harm's way when it comes to Ukraine. But I think it's a very different situation when we're talking about financial and munitions aid when we're talking about Ukraine. We're going to go to a break right now. We're going to talk about this more on the other side of the break. If you want to call in, the number is 800-529-5572 or 573-874-9390. This is Dave Rowland filling in for Gary Nolan on the Zimmer Radio Network. We are back. This is Dave Rowland sitting in for Gary Nolan on the Gary Nolan Show. We've been talking about the situation in Israel with the terrorist attacks by Hamas, and we've been talking about what, if anything... Should the U.S. do in response to these attacks? Um, I have planted a flag saying that uh, I think it is indefensible for anyone who has been calling for uh, a cessation of the assistance to Ukraine to now say that we need to be assisting Israel with financial or uh, some form of munitions support. Uh, here's why I think it is absolutely indefensible. Uh Number one, the situations are not especially similar and and the dissimilarities lend themselves to suggesting that Ukraine needs more support. Ukraine was not particularly prepared to deal with an invasion by uh, a neighboring state that some would have considered a superpower. Uh, Russia is one of the more powerful militaries in the world. Uh, it's backed by nuclear weapons. And, um, you know, Ukraine was clearly not anticipating that invasion when it happened. Um, they are dealing with a situation where Russia is trying to take large portions of their territory, if not the entire nation. Uh, and so the the kind of fight that Ukraine is facing is substantively substantively different from the kind of fight that Israel is facing. I don't think that the terrorists in Hamas or Hezbollah have any great pretensions that they're going to take uh, Israeli territory, that they're going to force Israel to cede ground that does not already, uh, at least nominally, belong to Palestinians in this conflict. Um, and, and so I think that that, that is a substantive difference. It means that Ukraine is facing, uh, a more existential threat than Israel is as a nation as a result of the actions against them. Now that might be different, as I pointed out in the first segment, uh, of the hour. That might be different if we're talking about Iran, uh, you know, attacking Israel, They might actually be in a position to try and take territory away from Israel, uh, not necessarily for themselves, but uh, to to be allocated to Palestinians or perhaps to one of the other neighboring Arab countries. Um, but but that's not, at least for the time being, the situation that Israel faces. Uh, it is what is what Ukraine is dealing with. Furthermore, uh, Vladimir Putin, the president of Russia, has not been shy about announcing his intention to try and recreate the historic Russian Empire. Um, that is part of the reason that he focused on Ukraine. That's part of the reason that he has rattled sabers in regard to Poland and the Baltic states, uh, both of which, or all of which, uh, have 
territory in part or in whole that used to belong to the Russian Empire. Uh, I think that if Vladimir Putin had his way, he absolutely would invade those countries and take back the territory that he believes belongs to Russia in the first place. Um, so there is a, I think, a much severe, a much more severe threat posed by Russia to its neighbors than is posed by these terrorist groups to to Israel. Additionally, uh, and, and this is where I get into the, the question of, of the money that has been sent to Ukraine so far. Uh, I think the best guess is, is that uh, the U.S. has devoted in the neighborhood of about $110 billion uh, to the support of Ukraine uh, thus far. And that's in uh, roughly a year and a half of, of fighting since uh, Russia invaded the country. And that sounds like a very large dollar figure. Until one considers the size of the U.S. defense budget. So the U.S. military spends in the neighborhood of eight to nine hundred billion dollars every year. Um, and, and I was talking with Brian about this a little bit. Uh, they actually have the potential of spending more than a trillion dollars in any given year. And although a hundred billion dollars is a significant fraction of that. It's a roughly, you know, 10 to 15% of that budget. Um, what's the purpose of all that spending to begin with? The, the purpose of all of that defense spending is so that the U.S. would be prepared to deal with its major geopolitical adversaries. Now, historically, for the last century or so, um, the geopolitical adversaries have included Germany in the early 20th century, Japan in the early 20th century. But then from the end of World War II on, the Soviet Union and Russia have been one of the primary geopolitical adversaries that our defense system is supposed to be protecting against. China has emerged as another of the major geopolitical adversaries that all of that justify all of this defense spending that we that we devote every year and i'll add that the secondary tier of defensive uh issues of adversaries iran would be part of that north korea would be part of that and then more generally i think terrorists worldwide would be considered the second tier of uh, of the basis for all of this military spending what we have in Ukraine is an opportunity to devote these dollars without putting American servicemen's lives at risk to degrading the military capabilities of one of our primary geopolitical adversaries. Ukraine is grinding down the Russian military in a way that we Otherwise, would be unable to do absent directly involving ourselves in military conflict. And we don't want to be directly involved in military conflict with Russia. We should not be. But Russia picked the fight, and they've put themselves in this position. We're going to continue talking about this on the other side of the commercial break. Call in. It's 800-529-5572 or 573-874-9390. This is Dave Rowland on the Zimmer Radio Network. This is The Gary Nolan Show.
Welcome back. This is Dave Rowland sitting in for Gary Nolan on The Gary Nolan Show. We have been talking for the first half hour of my stint here uh, about Israel and Ukraine and uh, the extent to which the United States has a, a, an appropriate interest in continuing to assist either of those nations in the difficulties that they are facing. I have planted a flag saying that I think it is morally indefensible for someone to say that the United States needs to be providing uh, financial or munitions assistance to Israel at the same time that they are saying we need to cut off financial and munitions assistance to Ukraine. Uh, I've invited callers, and we do have a caller on the line. So we're going to go now to Bruce. Bruce, welcome to the Gary Nolan Show. What do you have to say about this? Good morning. I don't know as I would disagree with you on Israel, although I wouldn't uh, put it in the morally indefensible. I just think practically it's not defensible and not needed uh, in terms of direct involvement in the military, but support him in the U.N. In, in Israel? You're talking, about, you're talking about Israel here? Yes. Okay. So I agree with you on that part. In terms of Ukraine... Uh, nobody have I heard has given a good explanation of our exit strategy, and that concerns me. Well, I think the exit strategy is Russia leaves Ukrainian soil. I think that's the exit strategy. Okay, and so we're going to stay there until Russia leaves there. Well, let, let's let's clarify. We're not there. Like, the U.S. does not have troops on the ground. We are not putting our own soldiers at risk in Ukraine. We are providing okay. financial assistance. We're providing arms. And the Ukrainians and so are the ones who are fighting and dying. Bruce, are you there? Did we lose you? ...equipment to Ukraine that we end up with none and have to buy new. Is that, is that the plan? Uh, you, you cut out for the first part of that. Could you repeat what you said so I make sure that I'm responding to it properly? So we are going to provide them... A uh, limited amount, or it's limited by us, uh, the artillery shells and bullets and uh, anything else they might need. Uh, and then, so what are we going to end up with at that point? I think we should be cranking up our industry to produce the kinds of munitions that are needed. So, so Bruce, let me let me expand my thoughts on this a little bit. Oh, go ahead. Wait a minute. Tony. Sure. So... So you don't think that the Eisenhower's military-industrial complex has any influence in these political decisions? Uh, not when nations are invading other nations and putting them at risk. So Eisenhower's concern about the military-industrial... Hold on, I'm, I'm responding to your question. Allow me to respond to your question. Okay. Eisenhower's concerns about the military-industrial complex were that uh, the the... The complex itself would generate the conflicts uh, in order to justify their own existence. This That's is not right. a situation where the military-industrial complex caused Russia to invade Ukraine. Vladimir Putin made the decision he wanted to take Ukraine for his own. And so he sent his troops into that country to attack them. That was not the doing of Northrop Grumman or uh, McDonnell Douglas or any of the American munitions producers. That was a foreign dignitary's choice to start that war. And, and so I don't think that it feeds into Eisenhower's concerns about a self-perpetuating military-industrial military complex. What I'm calling for is let's respond to the situation that has very definitely emerged um, and and help to deal with it. And again, I've pointed out 
Russia is one of the United States' primary geopolitical adversaries. And, and we are in a situation right now where Russia has started a war where they are degrading their own military capabilities to an extent that we never could have done without coming into direct conflict with them before they made this decision to invade Ukraine. And so I think so, that it, it is perfectly worthwhile for us to spend a significant portion of our defense budget. And again, we're talking about $800, $900 billion per year to, to spend a significant portion of that to allow Ukraine to do the work that otherwise we might have to do directly. You see what I'm saying? I, I'm not asking if you agree. Do you see what no, I'm saying? No, I, I, I see what you're saying, okay. yes, but I don't know that I agree with it. That's fair. Uh, you you, you or, or myself cannot prove that the military-industrial conflict hasn't, uh, industry hasn't had any, con uh, any influence. But uh, I have heard nobody uh, give a definite uh, description of our exit plan. We didn't have an exit plan in Korea. We didn't have an exit plan in Vietnam. We didn't have an exit plan in Iraq. We didn't have an exit plan in Afghanistan. All of those and involved American, American soldiers on the ground, which is not the case in Ukraine. And I've, I've described the exit plan, and I think it's the same exit plan that the Ukrainian government uh, anticipates, is the exit well, plan but, is yeah. Russia leaves Ukrainian soil, period. And, but but has anybody expressed that? I have not heard anybody of any influence that expressed. Vladimir Zelensky has has expressed that. Like that's that's. Uh, I know that the the former prime minister of Finland uh, was very direct when they asked, "Well, how is this supposed to end?" And she said, "It ends when Russia returns to its own borders." And I think now, I think now, that that's a, a quite is, common line that we've heard from European politicians as well. Is is that's so how this war ends? From what have we heard from our uh, president and our secretary of state and the uh, leaders of the Senate and the House? I've not heard, or the Pentagon, of course, is what is our exit plan? Well, I, I don't know what they would say. I think that it's certainly a question that should be asked. Well, I, but but I think, well, that, I think the easy answer asked. is precisely the one that I've given you. The war ends when Russia pulls its soldiers back out of Ukrainian territory. Yes, but I think I would prefer to hear it from our leaders specifically even before we got into the mess. And now we are, as you said, how many hundreds of billions of dollars have we uh, spent there? About $110 billion last I heard. Yeah. And, and, and so really we're going to have to spend another $100 billion just to reinforce our, our uh, ammunition and equipment. And to set back the military of our major primary geopolitical adversary decades, I think is a, uh, absolutely a well okay. worth the investment. Let's uh, thank you so much for calling in, Bruce. I appreciate it. We need to go on to Rick. Rick's been waiting on the line patiently. Uh, Rick, what are your thoughts on this? Well, you know, uh, Germany and all the other countries that are in that area have not really been pitching in their fair share. None of them have sat down and said, whoa, we spend all this money on our social programs and we're going to have to suddenly redirect it because of this threat from Russia to defending Europe. I, I think that's factually incorrect. Shortly after the invasion uh, in February of last year, Germany announced that it was ramping up the amount of GDP that it was going to be devoting to its military, uh, UK 
announced that they were ramping up the percentage of the GDP that they were going to be devoting to their defense forces. Uh, the Baltics have absolutely stepped up to the plate. Uh, the Baltics and Poland have spent incredible amounts of money and resources relative to their size uh, in sending it uh, the aid to Ukraine because they recognize they're next. If if Putin is not stopped in Ukraine, then ultimately it's going to be Poland and the Baltics that are the next to be uh, invaded. And so they've devoted huge amounts of their own resources uh, to fighting this. France, uh, I believe, also announced that it was upping the amount of of uh, GDP that they were going to be spending on on national defense. So um, I, I think you're just factually incorrect that no other nations have been stepping up. Uh, now, Germany could have done more than they have been doing. But but the U.K. in particular, England, has been uh, sending very significant amounts of support to Ukraine. Well, you're the first one that I've heard explain it that way. But uh, my understanding was, yeah, they're ramping up to defend themselves, but the war is in the Ukraine, and that's where they need to be sending their money. And we've been sending massive amounts of arms and everything to them. And uh, uh, I, I, I would respectfully encourage you to broaden your your media diet. Um, look look at look at other sources because. This information is out there, and it has been out there for a year and a half. Um, the, the UK has has devoted really, really enormous resources to this. The UK, outside of the US, has probably been the primary um, uh, entity providing resources to Ukraine, both in terms of financial support and uh, weapons and training. Um, so a lot of the, the NATO allies in Europe have been training Ukrainians on their own soil, uh, then uh, transferring weapon systems to Ukraine for use. So, for example, the UK, the UK and uh, France devoted several hundred um, uh, cruise missiles for Ukraine to use. In addition to Leopard 2 tanks, uh, they've been providing uh, artillery rounds, small arms. Uh, so, so there has been a, a very concerted effort to provide uh, Ukraine with the material that it needs to, to try and fight back. Now, there have been limits. Uh, so to this point, none of the NATO allies have, have provided uh, modern NATO standard fighter jets. Uh, they provided, uh, especially the former, uh, the former Warsaw Pact countries like the Baltics, like Poland, uh, provided all of the Soviet era fighter jets, the MiG-29s and the, the Sukhoi-27s. They've provided all that they had to Ukraine, um, but, but thus far we haven't sent any Western jets. But that's coming. That's going to be coming probably in a, in a couple of months. Um, and it's not going to be just the United States providing them. It's going to be the European countries as well. Well, I just had a concern that they weren't stepping up and doing their part. Uh, we have always been the ones that spent the money in NATO while the other countries were slacking off. Yeah, and I think that that's a very legitimate concern. And so one of the things, you know, people who listen to me regularly, they know that I'm not a big Donald Trump fan. But one of the things that I respected about the way that he handled the presidency is he did put pressure on the other NATO nations to step up their spending. Because you're right, 
the U.S. had been footing the vast bulk of the bill for NATO, um, but but that has shifted, particularly in the last five years or so. Um, I'll also point out that there's also now spending coming in from Sweden and Finland, who are the two new members of NATO. Um, Finland, of course, has a huge interest in this because they share a gigantic border with Russia. Uh, they've been attacked by the Soviet Union multiple times in the last hundred years. And so they understand the risk here as well. Um, and so they also have been stepping up in terms of what they are providing to NATO and then also what they've also been provi- providing to Ukraine. So, uh, again, the, and, and feel free to respond to this if you want, but I actually think that this is a worthwhile investment for the U.S. in terms of using a portion of our defense budget to degrade the capabilities of our primary geopolitical adversary. Um, we are going into another commercial break. Thanks so much for calling in, Rick. I appreciate it. If you'd like to call in and, and argue with me about this, the number is 800-529-5572 or 573-874-9390. This is Dave Rowland on the Zimmer Radio Network. Welcome back. This is Dave Rowland sitting in for Gary Nolan on the Gary Nolan Show. We have been discussing uh, Israel and Ukraine and the extent to which uh, the U.S. is providing support to either of those countries as they're dealing with their respective challenges. Uh, uh, we have got a caller on the line I want to get to. Dustin, you are on the line with Dave Rowland. What do you have to say about this? Yeah, my question to you is what what does uh, either one of them countries provide for us that we can't provide for ourselves here? And how long is too long to stay in to help them? I, for one thing, I don't believe we should be helping them at all. Not one iota, resource, nothing. They're corrupt. Every decade or every 20 years, there's an issue with them. They can't keep their country running. They can't keep criminals out of it to keep it running. So let whoever have them. Who cares? What what do they provide that would benefit us at all? Now, do I think the killing of people should happen? No, I'm not, I'm not for that. But there's nothing you can do for them people. They're, they're, they're corrupt in their own. Okay, so so to respond to your question, um, I personally, I I do not dispute that there is a significant level of corruption that has been historically a problem within Ukraine. Um, I don't know how how much more corruption there is in Ukraine than there are in many Eastern European societies um unfortunately corruption is kind of a feature of government particularly in uh the former warsaw pact nations um so i don't know that ukraine is unique in the level of corruption that they have had um i do know that they have been working to try and reduce the level of corruption in their society that said i separate that issue entirely from the question of whether we should be providing assistance in their war with Russia. Um, so you're just, you asked, you're well, hold on, hold on, hold on. So, so you asked what they do for us. In other words, what return do we get on this investment? Does that, is that a fair way of phrasing your question? Absolutely. Okay. Here's the return we get on our, they are actively degrading the military of our primary geopolitical adversary. Like, that's the return we get on this investment, okay? We have been spending hundreds of billions of dollars a year, nearly a trillion dollars every year on our defensive spending in order to counter 
Russia's military and China's military. Like, that's why we spend all that money. Well, now Russia involved itself in a very stupid war. They are putting their own military on the ground so that it can be shredded. And we have an opportunity to provide resources to the people that are doing that shredding. And without our support, they might not be able to stop the Russian military, or at least they would be in a position of losing this war. And I think that that's what this money was supposed to be spent for in the first place, was to lower the risk of Russia ever being able to use its military to threaten the United States directly or its allies directly. And so the return we get on our investment is if Russia sets its own military back by three decades because of this foolish, foolish war that they've started, then maybe we don't have to spend that much money in the future to try and and protect against them, to prepare to defend against them. Well, I think think you're really, really, really foolish if you think you're going to set them back and I'm talking from they're, they're multiple, setting themselves multiple back. military military background people that I know. Okay, you so we're going to set Russia back. So decades. Russia does not have unlimited resources. Russia's GDP is less than the state of Texas. That's not how wars are fought. This is a foolish war. Absolutely, wars aren't fought this way anymore. How, how many tanks? How many tanks did Russia start the war with? What's that? How many tanks did Russia start the war with? I, I don't care about any tank. Well, that's that's any how tank. wars it's are fought. War. It's a silly, silly war to fight on ground. That's dumb on their part. But to think that they haven't got intelligence back there that can hurt other ways, I, I think it's a hocus-pocus thing for you all. And I think it, for anybody that thinks that we're involved over there and it's going to help us in the future is lost their mind. Well, but, so my perspective you know, on this is... is if Russia is beaten, if they are forced back to their own borders, it's going to be because their military is unable to function anymore. And and I think that that's exactly what they're heading for if we continue providing the resources. They started the war with several thousand tanks, modern tanks, and their tank force has been utterly degraded. It got so bad that they're hauling out World War II era tanks to send to the front lines because they don't have the modern tanks that they need anymore. What, what, what do you care whether they occupy Ukraine? Well, I care because they're not going to stop at Ukraine. Like, they're going to continue to push. That's I why think, Russia I, is I, I the U.S.'s wrong. number one geopolitical adversary. Now, if you want to say we should cut $600 billion per year from the Defense Department's budget because you, because Russia's not actually a threat to the United States, that's a conversation we can have. But But the idea of saying that we should be spending all this money on defense, but we're not going to spend it to degrade Russia's military capability. That doesn't make sense to me. We're going into a commercial break. Feel free to call in if you'd like. It's 800-529-5572. This is Dave Rowland on the Zimmer Radio Network. Nolan Show.